Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. I'm super excited about our word for the year, God with us, becoming a people who are aware of the presence of God. And how do we become more aware of the presence of God with us individually and corporately? Well, I believe it's through spiritual disciplines that we engage in relationally and intimately and intensely. Those three words, I want you to hear those. I believe that as we engage in spiritual practices relationally and intimately and intentionally, I believe that we are transformed and we're changed. For instance, the word relational, if you just read the scripture, just to read the scripture, but you're not coming to to relate to the living God, you're missing the point. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures looking for me, but he said, you're not coming to me, you're just going through the motions of reading the scripture. The scriptures are the very thing that testify about me. And so you can actually do a spiritual practice like devotional scripture reading and just do it rather than relationally, you just do it in a way where you're marking a check, a checkbox and saying, I got that done, right? So we want to do the spiritual disciplines relationally. We're connecting with the living God. And then intimately, we want to know God better. We are pursuing an intimate relationship with the with the Lord. So we want a relationship with God. We want to relate to the living God and we want to do it in a personal, intimate way with our living God. And then with intensity. You need sufficient intensity in order to be transformed. It needs to be intent. We need to have an intention. The Bible says earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so a lot of people say, hey, I'm open to the spiritual gifts. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 doesn't say be open to the spiritual gifts. It actually says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. So the Bible says stir up yourself. Be zealous, therefore. I mean, there has to be a little fire there, huh? There has to be a little energy there. 2 Chronicles 29, 11, you know, we want to stand serve, minister, and burn. To have some incense going, a little smoke, there's gotta be a little fire, right? So we wanna be a people who are a a people of intensity, a people who are intent, a people who are giving effort or rhythm in our practice. Uh, Today, I'm gonna begin a, a, a sermon series on the joy of the disciplines. The joy of the disciplines. And we're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines, and I actually don't know how long we're going to spend in this, but uh, I believe that that's what the Lord wants us to do, is talk about the joy of the spiritual disciplines. First of all, I want you to think about when you came to Christ, when you became a Christian. Can you remember why you gave your life to the Lord? Can you remember why you became a follower of Jesus? Can you remember when? you became a follower of Jesus. Here's my story. I was actually nine years old. We had moved to Houston, Texas. We lived here for nine months. Uh, and in that age, when I was uh, eight and nine years old, we lived here for nine months. We were attending a revival service at Memorial Drive Baptist Church here in Houston, Texas. And we were actually attending a revival service 
And, uh, and as the preacher was preaching and, and talking about Jesus and talking about our need for the Lord Jesus, I became aware of something. I became aware that Jesus was outside of me and he was actually speaking to me. He was actually calling me. But I was also aware that he was not in me. I was aware that he was other than me. And I became aware that I was actually separated from Jesus. Somehow as a nine-year-old, I became aware that I was a sinner and Jesus was actually drawing near to me or speaking to me or getting my attention. I became very much aware of that. And Jesus was inviting me to follow him and to come into a relationship with him. So that night, I said yes to the Lord. Uh, what we used to do in our church, we would walk the aisle and we would respond to an altar call and then people would pray with you and help you to, uh, to come into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and at age nine, I want you to know, I, I wasn't a big sinner in the sense of I hadn't done a lot of really bad things, but I want you to know I was aware that I was a sinner. I was aware that Jesus loved me, that God loved me, and I was aware that I loved God. I knew those things. I just knew them as that service was taking place. And I want you to know my life changed that night. I was a different person when I went to school uh, the next day. I was talking about what happened in my life. I was talking about what Jesus had done for me. I was talking about the love of God. I wanted people to come with me to the revival services. I wanted people to experience the Lord and his grace. And my hunger exploded to God, for God. And before that, uh, I really didn't enjoy going to church. The primary reason was because uh, my parents always put shoes on me that didn't fit. They were, they were too small for me. We'd have to dress up, and, uh, and, and I just was growing so fast, my shoes never fit. And so I was in sufficient pain. Mom, I know you're watching today. God bless you, but that was, that was difficult for me. And, uh, and so uh, it's interesting what you remember as a child, right? And uh, that can't be true that all my shoes were tight. But, but, but I wanted to go to church after I got saved. Does that make sense? After I came into a relationship and followed Jesus, I wanted to go to church. And I wanted to be there. And uh, my whole demeanor changed. And, uh, and then as I grew up, I grew with a passionate, hunger, burning desire to know God. That was just something that God did in my life. I didn't sign up for religion. I didn't sign up for ritual. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, I was responding to an invitation from the Lord to have a relationship with him. So what did you sign up for? You're thinking about why you became a Christian and when you became a Christian. What did you, what did you sign up for? when you became a Christian? Was it to be a religious person? Was it to get your ticket to heaven? Was it because you were afraid of going to hell and spending eternity separated from God? Was it because you needed help? Was it because you saw your need for God? Was it because a friend took the time to share about Jesus with you? Was it because God just sovereignly caught you off guard and brought you to himself as an act of love? 
Was it because you saw how God changed the life of a friend or a relative and you said, I want what they have? Was it because you loved God and because you wanted to know him? I know this, we come to God for many different reasons. Some people simply say they had a Romans 10, 13 experience. The scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So just this thing, oh God help, I need you. Just this thing rose up in them. Others had someone share the good news with them while they were at church or shared with them in their individual conversations. Again, a mom, a dad, a friend, uh, someone shared with them. Maybe a parent shared with us the love of God. Some people have had a divine visitation from the Lord. God just intervened dramatically in their lives. And then some people just said yes to this holy tug of the Spirit of God upon their hearts and followed Jesus. And then I know numbers of people who simply made a choice. They heard about Jesus. They heard who he was. They recognized that, that he's the son of God, that they, uh, they had fallen short of the divine image that God had given them, that Jesus had come for them, and he lived, he died, he was buried, he was raised again for them, and they just made a choice. There was no big emotion, there was no visitation, they, were, they just made a choice, and they said yes to surrendering their life and to following Jesus. It was, it was just a... Uh, just it made sense. It just it was just an, an act of their will. And then some people just chose to respond. They heard good news and they said, "I want good news." They just said yes to the good news that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Billy Graham always taught. He said, "You need to be able to remember the day and the time." when you came to the Lord. And he would talk about that in the crusades that he did and he would encourage people. He could actually remember the day and the hour when he came into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now it's interesting, his wife Ruth could never remember the time when she came to Jesus. Isn't this interesting? He, he's, in, he's encouraging people, you gotta know the day and the time, the hour. And then his wife, she, her testimony is, from the time I was a little kid, I've had a relationship with Jesus. I don't know when it happened, but when I was very, very little, I know that God came into my life, and I loved him, and he loved me. And her life, the proof was in the pudding, just like Billy's. Isn't that interesting? There are many ways that God wakes us up. There are many, many ways that God wakes us up to our need for a relationship with him. But I know this, if you've been a Christian for any time, God has put a desire in you for an intimate relationship with him, the living God. And anything else, anything less fails to satisfy. I know that. And I also know that God has communicated to you. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any time at all, God has communicated to you that he has a divine purpose for your life. There is something that he is doing in you that he wants you to cooperate with. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. 
The NIV says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son. Listen, however you came to Jesus, whenever, whatever your why or your when was, I want you to know that the Father is at work in your life. He's using everything that's happened to you, both good and bad. This is amazing about our God. Everything that touches your life is not good, but he can even take bad things and he can work them together for good if you're surrendered to his purpose. What is his purpose? That we would become conformed to the image of his glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I don't know when or why, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but I want you to know that God is actively at work in you because you said yes to him and he is fashioning and forming in you the very character and nature of his glorious son. He has that divine purpose for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of God? The purpose of God is to conform us to the image of Jesus. Now listen to how Eugene Peterson in the message, listen to how he translates this passage, Romans chapter 28, uh, chapter eight, verse 28 through 30. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something for good. God knew that what he was doing from the very beginning, he decided at the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and the intended shape of our lives there in Jesus. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun in them. Aren't those amazing insights? That we see in Jesus who we're supposed to be. For every child of God, the Father is at work in our lives to shape our lives according to his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and to show us the original and the intended design of our lives. It's found in Jesus. How does God do this? Well, first of all, he calls us by name. I was nine years old, and God was personally seeking me. God personally chose me. Did you know that John chapter one in our Christmas story that we read, that Jesus is the light that enlightens every person on this planet. Now, I don't know the mystery and how he does it, but he's pursuing everybody on this planet. And so, and people say, God's not coming after me. I just wanna say, you're wrong. You are in his crosshairs. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And, and Pastor Steve taught us that that word follow, he, in the scripture, it actually talks about hunting. 
It's always about hunting. God is hunting you down. And most people go, well, obviously, he's out to destroy me. He's always mad at me. No, he's hunting you down with what? Goodness and love. Praise God he doesn't miss his mark. You're a mark. You're a target for God's love, for God's goodness. So he calls us by name. He chose you. He chose me. He sets us on a solid foundation of love with himself. So God takes the initiative to make us right with him. He continues to work with us and to live within us always, gloriously finishing in us what he has begun. The God who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6 says, he's going to finish it in the day of Christ Jesus. Now that's our God. Now, if God is going to shape our lives into the image of his son, Jesus, then he intends for us to follow the same practices that Jesus did. Now, hear that again. If God is going to shape your life, if he's going to shape my life, then he actually intends for us to engage in practices which the Lord Jesus himself engaged in. People often ask the question in the different circumstances and situations of their lives, what would Jesus do? Well, I submit to you that we can't do what Jesus did or would do in our crunch times unless we've been doing what Jesus did in the regular rhythms of our lives and spiritual practices as the regular habit of our life. We're not going to have the resource to show up like Jesus did to respond with the wisdom of Jesus, to respond like him. But if we engage in life according to the way of Jesus, it will prepare us and God will use us more effectively because he's shaping us into the life of Jesus. So did you know that Christians were first called followers of the way? In the scripture, Christians, well, they were first called Christians at Antioch, but that was later, little Christians. And by the way, that's a derogatory term, right? But we take that. We'll take that, right? I, I'm a little Christ. I, I look like Jesus. I sound like Jesus. That's awesome. But the first, the first time it's talking about believers and, and what they are, it's actually they're talked about as people of the way. Well, what way were they talking about? They're talking about the way of life or the practice of life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The early disciples talked like Jesus, acted like Jesus, and did the works of Jesus, so much so that when people looked at their lives, they recognized them as having been with Jesus. How is this possible? Well, the early disciples got close to Jesus, right? He said, Matthew chapter four, verse 19, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. And then he put him into a committed community of followers and that kept growing, but they watched Jesus, they watched what he was doing, they listened to what he said, and then he actually mentored them and gave them authority and power to do what he had been saying and to do what he had been doing. So they were saying what he had been saying and doing what, so they followed him, they listened to him, 
and they paid attention to him. They learned, they watched where the secret of his life was. And what was the secret of the life of Jesus? His intimacy with the Father. And he engaged in a way, he engaged in holy habits, spiritual practices that helped that connection grow just like we do with his holy father. And the disciples engaged in those spiritual practices, just like Jesus, so that they could say what they heard the father saying, and so they could do what the father was doing, just like Jesus modeled for them. The way, followers of the way. Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 because they had healed a crippled man at the gate beautiful. And then they began to preach because a crowd got around and they talked about Jesus who had done this. Well, that got them in trouble in their day. And Acts 4.13 says, when the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we have enough evidence in our lives that though we're uneducated or, or, or we're just common, that we're actually uncommon because of the one who's shining through us and working through us? The way of Jesus. After the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, followers of Jesus were actually first called followers of the way. Listen to Acts chapter 9. So Stephen is stoned to get death in Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 9, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, they looked at these people that were followers of Jesus and they recognized that they had a way. They were following the way. When Paul's team ministered in the synagogues in Ephesus. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul and his team goes to the city of Ephesus and God begins to move and God begins to work there and then as a part of what he did in every city that he went to on the mission field, he would go to the synagogue also. He went to those that were Gentiles who were non-Jews, but he also went to the Jews because he wanted their eyes open to see the Messiah. And while he was there, the scripture says, some of the Jews became obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way, Acts 19.9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to read a few verses together. Acts chapter 19. Verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, and he arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. 
there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months there, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And then this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord spread throughout that whole province. But there were some that were obstinate and refused and publicly maligned the way. During the spiritual awakening in that region, there actually grows up a great disturbance about the way, Acts 19.23 says. So we're going to keep reading. Acts 19.11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits fled them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demonized or demon-oppressed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had, who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia. After I had been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And Two of his helpers he sent, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, Artemis brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in the related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says, can you imagine? He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Now there's a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. There was a great disturbance because of the way. The way of Jesus was changing the culture and the economics, what people did with their money. And so it threatened business, and it threatened their jobs, and most importantly, it threatened their priorities of their lives.
in this case, their worship. The joy of the disciplines. There's actually a way of Jesus. It's not your way. It's not my way. People should be able to look at our lives and say they're following the way of Jesus. Why? Because they look like Jesus, they sound like Jesus, they do what Jesus said. And that doesn't mean, I, when I was growing up, I thought I had to wear a robe and I had to wear sandals and, you know, look like, that's what it meant to look like Jesus. No, I'm formed in my character and my nature and my practices and my daily habits. I'm formed so that I react, I respond like he does. That's the goal. Well, listen to Paul's testimony. the, The way. Most people don't ever think about there's a way. There is a way. If you're gonna follow Jesus, now there's not the way, there's a way. It's the way of Jesus. There are many spiritual practices, there are many things, and and there's freedom in Christ, but I want you to know that you cannot grow and be conformed to the image of Jesus unless you engage in spiritual practices relationally, intimately, and intentionally. Can't be done. Cannot happen, right? Now, can you do the spiritual practices in a way that it doesn't produce the fruit of Jesus? The answer would be yes, right? Like learning any skill, if you practice the skill in a poor way, you're gonna get poor results, right? And so, like if you're trying to learn how to cook and you say, I don't need to follow the recipes, I can make this up as I go. The people that you experiment on will be ungrateful. So Paul's testimony about how he came to Christ, you're in Acts chapter 19, just go over to Acts 22. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, he's given testimony. I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicily, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and I was just as zealous for God as any of you are. I persecuted followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them and their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And then he begins to share about his Damascus Road encounter where God shows up to him on the road to Damascus. Now, Paul had a different salvation experience than I did. <laughs> God, God intervened, right, in a really substantial way. And his testimony here is powerful. But did you see that? I persecuted followers of this way. How did he know their way? It was evident to everybody that they lived differently. Then, Acts 24. And this is a testimony when Paul was brought before Governor Felix. And Paul talked about the way, and then it's interesting, Governor Felix, it says in this passage, was well acquainted with the way. Now, he doesn't know Jesus, but he's well acquainted with the way. Isn't that interesting? Acts 24.10, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. 
you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or storing up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges that they're now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect or a cult. I believe everything that agrees with the law and the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there is a resurrection both of the righteous and the wicked. So I will strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And after an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my gifts for the poor to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are there should state what crimes they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was the one thing that I shouted out as I stood in their presence. It's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial for you before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came and his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, I'm a follower of the way. And then Felix actually knows that he's speaking about faith in Jesus. He's familiar with the way, and he wants to hear more. The Holy Spirit speaking to him. Now, he doesn't respond to the Spirit. And finally, uh, uh, Paul's there for two years, I believe it was. And so, but, but he was familiar with the way, with the practices, with the lifestyle with these followers of Jesus, how? Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith in Jesus. So it wasn't their practices that saved them. It was their faith in a person, the Lord Jesus. But to follow Jesus, you will engage in practices that will help you and partner with the Father to conform you to the image of his glorious Son. The early Christians were called followers of the way. The way that they were talking about was the way of life or the practices of life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The early disciples looked like Jesus, talked like Jesus, and did the works of God like Jesus did. How was that possible? The disciples heard about and saw the spiritual practices of the Lord Jesus Christ as he pursued a personal, intimate, and intense relationship with his Holy Father. The disciples were engaged in the same practices as Jesus so that they could do what the Father was doing, so that they could say what the Father was saying, just like Jesus modeled for them. By the way, Christianity 101, Jesus says, come follow me, and I will make you. What did Paul say to people? He just boiled it down to, hey, listen, just follow me as I follow Christ, and you're going to be in good shape. Would that every believer would be that testimony, amen? Every one of us ought to be able to say, hey, listen, 
It, you don't have to know a whole lot of stuff. Just get close to me. Just do what I'm doing, and you're going to be fine. That's the way. That's the way. Our word for this year is God with us, becoming a people aware of his presence. How do we become aware of the presence of God? I believe it's through practicing the spiritual disciplines of Jesus relationally, intimately, and intently. And spiritual practices, hear me, are not supposed to be a drudgery. They're not supposed to be dry or demoralizing. Rather, God wants us to experience his joy, his life, his celebration as the outcome of our practice of the spiritual disciplines. It's not supposed to be dry, demoralizing, or drudgery, but it takes effort and it takes having a relationship and pursuing intimacy and some intensity. It takes some effort. You don't just happen to become a follower, right? God pursued you intentionally, so we say yes to him intentionally. And then we're not doing these things to earn God's love. We're doing it because he loves us and we want to grow in him and become more like him, both individually and corporately. So the joy of the disciplines. We're going to talk next week and we're going to start talking about the joy of the spiritual disciplines. By the way, there's a book that Nathan Foster wrote he wrote a narrative story. His dad, Celebration of the Disciplines, Richard Foster, that was one of the seminal works that just really impacted my life as a young man. And 30 years later, his son is, and, and, and the title of it is The Making of an Ordinary Saint. The Making of an Ordinary Saint. Going from frustration with the spiritual disciplines to experiencing joy in the disciplines. I recommend that book to you because he shares his failures. He shares, this isn't going to work. I don't understand this. Why is God asking me to do? He shares the ups and the downs and the victories. And he talks about making a journey of joy from frustration to joy. So sometimes fasting manifests our frustration. We're not in control. We don't get to just eat what we want to eat or do what we want to do. We're trying to, right? So we can identify with his journey. And he doesn't do it in a didactic way like his dad did. He does it in story, and he tells us his story of trying on different spiritual practices. The making of an ordinary saint, a journey from frustration to joy. I recommend that book to you. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the same journey. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy or celebration in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Would you please stand? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.